is an honor for myself and my family to be able to worship with you this morning. As Colin mentioned earlier, this is my ninth year serving in Cambodia. This October will be nine years, and this is my seventh year serving in Ankeshe Village. I'd like to thank all of you personally for your prayers and support for us. Our work has been both joyful and challenging. I think for every story of God's grace, we also have as many stories of sorrow and lament. I think that is very true in ministry anywhere, and I don't want to say that we have it harder in Cambodia, because I know that ministry in Dallas can be challenging as well. And I want us to think about today what keeps us going in the hard times in ministry. What keeps your church going? What keeps a missionary going when times are challenging? When it seems that no one takes God's word seriously? How do you keep going when the people of God are mocked and laughed at? And we'll be looking at this passage in Micah 4 today. And just a bit of an introduction before I read the passage. Sorry to keep you all standing, but just a bit of an introduction to Micah since we're jumping into the middle of it. The prophet Micah, he lived in challenging times. He lived in a time when the people of God were very few and the people of Israel did not want to listen to the word of God. He prophesied for 25 years during the reigns of three kings of Judah. Micah's job was to point out the sins of both the southern and the northern kingdoms and also to warn them of the looming invasions of Assyria and Babylon that would be used as instruments of God's judgment on the people. Our passage today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, is a prophecy of a future time, a future time much unlike the time of hypocrisy and idolatry that Micah found himself in daily. And children... Have you ever seen a mountain up close? Do you know the tallest mountain in the world? Our passage today talks about the mountain of the Lord. And listen to how it compares to the other mountains and hills around it. So let's listen with reverence to the word of God. Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, And shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all of the peoples walk. Each in the name of its God, but we, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that as we study your word, that you would protect us from Satan, the evil one, who wishes to snatch it away and guard us from the cares of the world, which wish to come and choke out your word. But instead, we ask that you would send your spirit to repair our hearts to receive your word with joy and gladness, that it may produce fruit and fruit in abundance in our lives. 
We pray all of this in Christ's name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted to entitle this sermon, Do You Like Farming? Or farming is a bit of a foretaste of heaven to come. Because if you look at verse 3, you see that a day will come in the future when God's people will be doing a lot of plowing and pruning. But I was afraid that not many of you may be too eager to become a farmer from someday. Or your idea of what heaven may be may not be uh, plowing fields and pruning trees. But let's look at what this passage has to teach us today. As I said, Micah did not have an easy ministry. If you and I think about how hard we have it, we'll look a bit later at what Micah, as a prophet of God, had to endure. But in the midst of the daily difficulties of ministry, God gives Micah this vision of a future expansion and spread of God's kingdom. In the midst of living in a world of chaos and uncertainty, Micah is given this vision of the mountain of God with peoples flowing up to worship at the mountain of God. This passage speaks to us today about reaffirming the reality of God's coming kingdom and encouraging us to faithfully walk after God in the midst of ministering in a world that often seems directly opposed to God and to his word. Let's look at verse 1. It starts out, It shall come to pass in the latter days... So we have a matter of timing that we have to solve. When will this happen? When will the latter days that Micah is talking about come to pass? Have the latter days already started? If we look at the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 2, it says this. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And also, if you look at Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches his sermon, he sees the events of Pentecost as fulfilling what the prophet Joel said would come to pass in the last days. So we see with Christ's first coming, he ushers in a period of time that the Bible refers to as the last days. Often when we talk about the unfolding kingdom of God, we use the language of the already and the not yet. What is already a present reality of God's kingdom and what has not yet happened, but will happen in fullness in the future. So as Micah's vision can be looked at in this way as well. Some of what he is saying has already started and some of what he says is still yet to come. So returning to the passage again. Micah says, in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills. In Micah's time, shrines to pagan deities or false gods were built on mountains. One commentary on the minor prophets lists four reasons why this was so. First, it showed the deity's presence with its people. Secondly, It showed the deity's abiding victory over chaos. Thirdly, it was a gateway into the deity's heavenly realm as they passed up through the mountain on into heaven. And fourthly, it showed the deity's rule over their territory. We can see this in the Old Testament. The Canaanite shrines in the Old Testament were often referred to as the high places. Wanting a place closer to the heavens, 
lifted up above the surrounding lands. They built their altars to false gods on the highest place they could find around them. When we moved to the village, Soka mentioned to one of the students that we wanted to go, go visit the mountains close by us. And by American standards, these mountains would probably be called hills, but by Cambodian standards, they're called mountains. But our helper warned us that you have to be extra careful when you get close to the mountains because there are lots of spirits that live on the mountains. And you have to be careful what you say. If you say something careless or offensive to them, they'll bring curses upon you. So be careful when you get close. So it's not uncommon in many places of the world to find a theology of elevation. The tallest places win. The tallest places have the most spirits. They have more spirits and more powerful place than the other places that are not as high. So what is Micah telling the people of his day about the mountain of the house of God? Micah is saying to all of this to the people who do not worship the Lord. Do you think that your God... Your spirit, your deity, your idol is powerful? Do you see its height as offering protection and provision for you? Offering a pathway to heaven and to eternity? He says instead, listen, there will come a day when the mountain of God will tower above all other mountains. The mountain of God will be lifted up above all other hills. The mountain of God will be what Mount Everest is to the mountains of the world. The mountain of God will be what the Bank of America Plaza is to downtown Dallas. But maybe a better comparison would be if all the other skyscrapers were gone and only that one remained. The mountain of the Lord will tower above all other mountains. Micah is saying God is supreme. He is all-powerful. He rules not over a small piece of land, a village, or a city or a country, but our God rules over all. God's mountain to the dismay and disappointment of all those who do not follow him will rise above all the other mountains of false hope, of spirit worship, of Buddha, of ancestor worship, of money, of power. God's mountain will rise above them all and tower over all of them, showing the people that he alone is worthy to be worshipped. And he alone is the path to heaven. God's mountain rises up to show that he is present and powerful with his people. That he has victory over chaos and uncertainty in the world. And that through his mountain is the only way to enter into heaven. And he not only rules a limited territory, but he rules the whole world and the whole universe. Well, are we to be measuring the height of Mount Zion in Israel, waiting for it to rise up and suddenly become taller? No, instead the New Testament tells us that Mount Zion is a symbol. It's a symbol we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. It says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the true Mount Zion, that his reign and dominion towers over all the other mountains of false gods, 
just as this mountain in Micah's vision has done, rising up and towering above everything else. So let's return to the passage. It says, and the peoples shall flow to it. So a difficult question for you. Which is easier, walking uphill or downhill? Or riding a bicycle uphill or downhill? Of course, going downhill is much easier. The natural flow of things is always down. But the shocking thing that Micah says is that people are going which way? They're flowing up. We know gravity pulls things down. But the gospel and the word of God is pulling people up to worship on the mountain of God. You see, it's pulling people out of their sins out of the world, and away from the grip of Satan. God's power is at work, and people are flowing up and into worship at the mountain of the Lord. How powerful is the gospel? Like a powerful river flowing uphill. It comes from God. It is the opposite of the way that things usually flow, of the, things that way, that, of the, things that, of the way that things usually happen in this world. It's supernatural. The drawing power of God... ...is miraculous. We have a word for it in Reformed theology. We call it irresistible grace. And that's what we see illustrated here in this passage. That as the word of God goes out... ...that people are pulled up and in to worship at the mountain of God. Verse 2 says... ...and many nations shall come and say... ...come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord... ...to the house of the God of Jacob... You see, this is not a local phenomenon that Micah is talking about, but a worldwide one. Many nations, many peoples are coming in to worship our Lord. Just as in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, that people from many tribes and nations are coming to worship And the passage that was read earlier from Revelation chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. That one day every tribe and tongue and nation will worship our Lord. So why do the nations go to Zion? Let's look again at verse 2. So they go that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, the nations come asking to learn about God, longing to know who God is, longing to know more about his ways, and longing to walk in his paths. These people are excited to learn about God. An excitement to learn about God's word, a desire to learn about God's word, marks these people. And a desire and an excitement to learn about God's word should mark all of God's people's lives. They do not just want to learn about God, but they also want to apply it to their lives. Their lives are changed because they have been taught God's word. I don't know how many of you have ever listened to the radio ministry Truth for Life, the teaching ministry of Alistair Begg, but its tagline goes like this, where the learning is for living. And that is how these people are doing. That is what they are doing. They are learning to live. They learn God's word and apply it to their lives. So the word of God is received with joy and reverence and it produces fruit in their lives. This is the words of the Great Commission, if you think about it, teaching them all that I have commanded you. 
The last part of verse 2 shows us the reason why the nations have come to Christ, the true Mount Zion. It is because the law of God and the word of God have gone out. So the nations come in as a result of the word of God and the law of God going out. That should remind us, once again, of the Great Commission. And of Romans 10, where it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, missions, done well, needs lots of planning and training. But let's not overcomplicate it. What is needed is faithful Bible teaching, faithful preaching, and faithful shepherding rooted in God's word. It's easy to get distracted with methods and strategies, but our focus always needs to return to the faithful teaching and preaching of God's word. That needs to be the focus of our church plants for them to grow, just as is pictured here. We should never sell God's word short. As we see in this passage, it goes forth and the nations pour in to worship God. This is God's method to grow his church and his method for missions. Verses 3 and 4 in particular focus on the not yet aspect of Micah's vision. A time in the future that God promises to come, but has not yet come. Let's read those verses again. Verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up its sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The passage we're looking at right now in chapter 4 is a hopeful message. It's a message of peacetime. But it's actually a message of judgment against the Israelites during Micah's time. Chapter 4 is actually connected to the end of chapter 3. In most translations, they don't put it, but in the New American Standard Version, if you have it, you'll see that they put and to start chapter 4, connecting it to chapter 3. And the end of chapter 3 is a sentence against the wicked rulers of Micah's time, against the house of Jacob. If you look at chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, it says this, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crook. All that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in our midst? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of runs. And the mountain of the house, a wooded height. You can see the reversal. From the heap of runs in chapter 3, when the judgment comes, the mountain of God in chapter 4 emerges. The rulers of Micah's time had made crooked all that was straight and demanded a bribe for what they should have done for free. Even the priests and prophets were corrupt and demanded money for what they were supposed to do for free. Those who were to protect and serve used their positions to exploit and take advantage of the people. It's a lot of what we put up with in Cambodia. But a time will come when God himself will judge the peoples. The corrupt rulers of Micah's time and of our time will one day be replaced by righteous and the just rule of God. No more will we despair about inequality and corruption. 
The result of God's rule will be that the weapons of war will no longer be needed. One day, when Christ returns and the kingdoms of this world are no more, there will be no fear of rebellion. Weapons of war will be needed no more. The sword and the spear, which stood as symbols of battle during Micah's time, they will be turned into plowshares and pruning hooks. Yes, farmers will finally get their day in the spotlight. In 2014, the U.S. spent $618 million on the military. In 2018, from what I looked at, it looked like it's closer to $700 billion. It takes a lot of money to fight war and to protect a country. Steve Hopper is someone who is from Greenfield, Illinois, my hometown. And he has been leading these tours. He is a Vietnam War veteran. He's been leading these tours 50 years after he was in Vietnam, they've started these, this program where Vietnam veterans can go and get closure. So they can go and go to the battlefields where they once fought with some of their fellow soldiers who are still alive and try to get closure. The name of the program is our War Without Heroes program. And you think about how ugly war can be and how it takes many years and sometimes people never get over what they experienced. But can you imagine a world without the threat of al-Qaeda or ISIS or the threat of school shootings? Not even the slightest threat of war will exist one day under the complete rule of Christ. The end of verse 3 says, neither shall they learn the way of war anymore. The need for military academies will be no more. You see, even during peacetime, you must always be ready for a looming attack. But a time of peace will come when Christ returns that there will not even be the need to study war anymore. Wars will end and peace will be forever and ever. Verse 4 goes on to describe this time of peace. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. One commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, writes, The scope is vast, peoples and nations, but the benefit is particular, each man. The peace is universally prevalent, but individually enjoyed. And this is vintage Yahweh, he says. He does not lose sight of his people in the crowd. He does not just see a huge blob of humanity, but he sees individual persons. And what a great promise for the persecuted church in Cambodia and throughout the world. What a time to look forward to. The vine and the fig tree were symbols of peace and prosperity. You enjoyed the fruit of the vine and the fig tree while you were sitting in its shade. And notice that the scene is this earth, but restored to how it was before the fall, but this time without rebellion against God's rule. And this doesn't happen because of passivism. It doesn't happen because the Second Amendment has been revoked. The reason this happens is because the Lord of hosts has spoken. The Lord of hosts refers to the armies of heaven under the command of God. This time, the righteous judgment and peace becomes a reality because the Lord's armies have brought it about. It will continue because the armies of the Lord will guard and protect the peace One army will remain when all other armies are gone. 
And the army that will remain is the army of the Lord. It will protect the kingdom of God and the people of God without fail. So what should we do with this glorious promise? There is a lot to look forward to. But what about living and serving God in a world that doesn't yet resemble what we see? In verse 5, Micah actually applies the first four verses to his time. Look at what it says in verse 5. For all the people walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. As I mentioned earlier, Micah did not minister in easy times. Let's look at some of the things that he had to put up with during his time. There was rampant idolatry. There was the looming judgment of God because of it. Chapter 2 says the people are awake at night thinking up evil. Then when morning comes, they go and commit it. The leaders and rich are using their power to seize fields that don't belong to them. In Micah chapter 2, verse 6, I think this clearly illustrates what he had to put up with. It says this, Do not preach of judgment. One should not preach of such, such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. So the people are saying, Don't tell us that there is a holy God that will judge us one day. Don't worry about that. That would never happen to us. Disgrace will never overtake us. Instead, the message that people want to hear is stated in Micah chapter 2, verse 11, is one of wine and strong drink. So instead of a preacher, the people want basically a beer salesman. They want to listen to someone talk to them about the benefits of drinking and partying. And that seems to be a message that is cross-culturally accepted, a message that's not held by time or place. Even in our village... There's myself, a, a foreigner, but a few villages over, there's another foreigner who I haven't met, but when we drive by, we see him sometimes out partying with some of the Cambodian men, and they're drinking beer together. And my wife comments, look at all the men that are friends with him. I wish, I wish that could be the case for you, because it's, it's really a struggle to reach out to Cambodian men. And I tell her, yeah, it's true. But look what he's doing. He's bought several cases of beer and they're drinking together and they're having a good time. It's a message that's easy to accept. It was true in Micah's time. It's true in our time. But the message that's hard to accept is to hear about the holiness of God, the judgment of God, and the way that we should walk after him. In chapter 3, the rulers are said to tear the skin off of their own people. So instead of offering protection... The rulers take advantage of their people without the slightest care. It says the priests teach for a price. The prophets no longer listen to God, but practice divination for money. All the while the people say, no disaster shall come upon us. Yet all of that did not determine how Micah and the remnant of God's people would live. Everyone around them may be walking after the name of their God... But they would walk after the name of the Lord forever and ever. In our village, I see a big Buddhist temple dominating life. I see a public school system that's full of corruption. And the same could be same for most villages in Cambodia. Government corruption, the rich taking advantage of the poor, 
a lack of interest in God's word, no matter what your social standing is, are all alive and well in Cambodia, just as in Micah's time. And I know that can be true for no matter where you live. But Micah sees a vision of what God's kingdom will look like someday. And in light of that future hope, he will walk after faithfulness with God now. And that is what we are called to. That is what our Cambodian brothers and sisters are called to. That is what your church in Dallas is called to. To hold on to the reality of God's kingdom in its fullness... ...while working and living in a time when we only taste a small bit... ...of what it will be one day in its fullness. You know, in Micah's day, the kingdom of God seemed rather insignificant. A small country in the Middle East that was about ready to get ran over by its enemies... Things would actually get worse in Micah's time before they got better. But he had a much larger vision of what God was doing than his own present situation or even his own lifetime. I think that's important for us. I think it's important for me as a missionary. In the last few months, our team in Cambodia has been shrinking, and that can be disappointing. Some of our church plants don't quite look like this glorious mountain of people flowing into them, ever increasing in their longing to worship God and to know his word. Instead, some of them are shrinking and some of the leaders have had conflict and some of them have had conflict with us and some of us with them and some of the churches have shrunk and some of it is because of persecution from their families that they have made some of their children and even college-age students quit going to church. But we must keep in mind the reality of what we see, this future hope. The Lord's prayer will be answered. The kingdom of God will come. It is happening now. Maybe not at the speed or in the timing or in the way in which we would like it to happen. But we should long for the mountain of God to be fully established. For people to flow into the house of God. For people to long to know God's word and to walk in his ways. For a time of peace and justice and protection to come. This vision can help us to faithfully serve in hope in the midst of difficult times. So my brothers and sisters and Lord, do not lose sight of the great end of history. When God rules with justice and mercy. When peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation will praise God for all eternity. Let's have confidence in the word of God. It is what causes the people to come. Let's be confident in the gospel. It draws people against the natural sinful flow of things. Its power is undeniable like a river flowing uphill against gravity, drawing people into the church. We need to believe it. We need to teach it. His gospel is a supernatural power. Nothing else compares to it and nothing can replace it. We must work in thankfulness for what God has already started to do and work in hope and longing for the day when we will see What we only see in part now, but someday we will see in fullness of people flowing up to the mountain of God. The mountain of God lifted up and reigning over all other false gods. But in the meantime, may we walk in the name of our God forever and ever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would fill us with a longing to see the armies of heaven come and protect us to make all things right a day when the weapons of war will be put away. We pray that we would know that even now you are drawing people into your mountain 
your mountain that will rise above all other mountains, that you are drawing people in to worship your Son in spirit and in truth. We pray that as we live in the midst of a world and people who often walk after their own way, who walk after their own gods, that we ourselves would walk after you in faithfulness, in hope, and in love, and with a worshipful heart, longing to know your law and longing to know your word forever and ever until you return. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.